I'm delighted to welcome Professor of Vocal Accompaniment Graham Johnson to the podcast. Graham is directing an evening of song repertoire on the 24th of February at LSO St Luke's. Um, the evening is launching a new group of senior singers and pianists from the school called the Song Guild. So Graham, welcome. Thank you. Um, could you give us an idea how the Song Guild came about um, and does it have a particular focus? Well, I think it's basically because we've got many fine singers in the Guildhall and the Guildhall is renowned for its opera programme amongst many other things. But working on song, not everybody's cup of tea, not every singer's basic strongest suit, is a very specialised thing. I mean, it's not only a question of vocal ability, it's a question of imagination, interest, motivation, miniature art form. And just like painters, some are better at painting vast canvases and some are better at painting very small, exquisite miniatures. And song, as such is something that appeals just naturally more to some singers than others. It appeals to those in the accompaniment programme because that's what they do. They've come here for that. But I decided, together with Eugene Astor and Pamela Lydia, my colleagues, that in line with what happens in some other conservatoires, um, who have various groups consecrated to the song repertoire, it would actually be a very good idea to do the same here, selecting people who are up for intensive coaching and extra work and all the sort of type of thing which is just heavenly opportunity to those who love it and would be a very uh, boring bit of extra work for those who don't. So it's not excluding singers uh, who are not interested in the same way but it is sort of saying um, please reveal yourself uh, as being interested and able in this repertoire during your course of study and then there will be a place for you to do certain high-powered and very intensive projects. Um, and were you already doing, I think you were already doing something a bit more informally along these lines, so it's pulling together... Well, for many years I've done <clears throat> various projects here at the school, but there there's the democratic aspect of the school, which I think is one of the Guildhall's strong points, where everybody in the programme gets an equal opportunity to try out song. Oh, I see. But this is actually for more senior students who've proved themselves specially interested. And uh, I think it's rather good to have a sort of a society to which people might aspire to belong because it implies a certain type of, well, elite. Elite is a, not a terribly popular or not a terribly fashionable word in terms of political correctness, but it does mean that you've earned a place in terms of being selected for special projects. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that, and the competition and wanting to do it, I just think, makes people keener and makes people work harder. Mm. And they've ditched on their merits. Yes, so, yeah. exactly. Um, so what do students get from working in this intensive context? Well rather more attention in terms of, of uh, coaching time, discussion time and all the rest of it than they might otherwise have had uh, if they were actually involved in taking part in a project which included all the singers in a particular year or the school. And if the, the selected pianists equally have a real chunk. You know, the Guildhall's absolutely remarkable at letting everyone have a go and sharing, but pianists particularly really long for a not just a few bite-sized chunks, but for a great 
big project where they can really get their teeth into something. And this is what's happening. We've selected on this occasion uh, two fine young pianists, Catherine Norton and James Sherlock, and four singers, uh, two sopranos and two baritones. Uh, and as such, you know, other projects for the Song Guild will include different personnel, perhaps. We are going to build up a pool of people suitable for different projects in different languages. Okay. The two baritones concerned are both German-speaking, as it happens. And in a very German-intensive project like this, that's perhaps a good idea. But, um, no, I think, I think we just take it as it comes. There are all these remarkable singers at the school... And what I discover is that they've all got such youthful energy. One does at that age when one's at the school bursting with the desire to actually not only make one's mark, but as it were, take on projects that are challenging. Mm. And that's what this is supposed to be all about. Um, well, perhaps you could tell us um, a bit about the repertoire um, they'll be performing on the 24th of February and what's particularly special about that. Yes, well, the song cycle as such is... Um, a central part of the vocal repertoire. There have been song cycles by all sorts of composers, perhaps the most famous of France, Schubert's Die Schöne Müllerin and Winterreiser. But this is by a very great composer called Hugo Wolf, who's perhaps less known than some because he didn't write lots of piano pieces and his one or two operas are not well known. But he is, let's put it this way, as wonderful a composer for voice and piano as Chopin was as a composer for piano. And as you know, Chopin did very little other than piano music. So we're talking about a composer who was specialized in a particular area with yes. Wolf. And uh, he had a relatively short career, but the common consensus is that what he did at his best between about 1888 and 1896 was as great as anything that Schumann, Brahms and Schubert had done in the field of voice with piano. And uh, his last great masterpiece for voice and piano was something called the Italianisches Liederbuch, the Italian songbook. It's in two halves, one composed in 1891 and the other composed in 1896. Forty-six very small vignettes where the poetry is actually originally Italian and was translated into German by a very distinguished poet at the time called Paul Heiser, um, he actually got the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1914, as it happened. But we're talking about a book that Heiser published in 1860 and Wolf discovered 36 years later. Okay. And it gave a chance to create these extraordinary vivid moments of young people in love. Um, the men are normally uh, concerned with giving gallant compliments of absolute starstruck love to their inamorate, and the girls are cast as somewhat rather high-handed and dismissive. <laughs> um, but in a sense, it's not a question of boy says to girl and then girl says to boy. It's not a story. It doesn't have a narrative. It's like walking one summer evening into the piazza of an Italian village and hearing various strands of conversations between various couples as they are at various stages in their relationship. So, for example, there would be, you know, you told me that you did this and you didn't, or what do you mean by coming here if the girl is particularly angry, or the boy making extravagant compliments. The Italian word is rispetti for these very short and concise poems. 
and what Wolf does on two pages is miraculously mirror the concision and the economy and the eloquence of these Italian poems translated into beautiful German. So you get a composite work whereby German leader is warmed by the Italian South and its passion, or indeed the Italian South is given a certain intellectual gravity um, that that the German language and culture can bring to it. So it's a very pan-European work. Um, it's absolutely delightful. And the fact is that no song is longer very often than one and a quarter minutes or two minutes, so they're little vignettes, miniatures, extraordinary little portraits of relationships. But what builds up is the sense of the composer again and again as he composes, and we do have a slightly different way of presenting because we have a Guildhall actor, young Stefan Donnelly, okay. uh, taking the role of Wolf and reading the letters as he wrote the pieces, sometimes two or three at a time on a single day. Very intensively composed they were within a short time. And seeing the whole collection build up uh, song by song, until you get this portrait gallery of emotion where the piano writing particularly is of an incredible subtlety and eloquence and directness to match what the voices. So they're like little um, time pieces with exquisitely controlled leverage. I mean, the little the sort of workings of the chronometer in terms of how carefully Wolf judged and organised this music. So what you have is well, it's accepted and famous masterpiece, and the singers all fall in love with it, and the pianists go crazy because they've never encountered um, such a wonderful challenge. And it takes me back to 1975, which is God knows how many years ago now, <laughs> when I, for the first time, did the cycle in the Purcell room with Felicity Lott, not yet Dame Felicity at that point, and Richard Jackson, who often teaches at the school as well. Um, and it was so wonderful for me in my middle twenties to work on this and then to get coaching from Walter Legg, who was a famous impresario and Schwarzkopf's husband, uh, and who knew so much about Wolf. So it's a laying on of hands. I think that I have a great deal to say about this music, having known it for um, 35, nearly 40 years. And um, it's a wonderful opportunity to deal with highly motivated and intelligent youngsters who want to not only hear what I have to say, but then do it their way, in, which is the way of the world, um, and in a very nice space like St. Luke's, mm. on a wonderful piano, and with the imprimatur of the school. So, I mean, it seems to me that if we can find similar projects in the future, uh, special projects, and perhaps also involving people from the drama department, because, you know, yeah. let's face it, I think that you have a resource here that most other schools don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the drama department, we can actually, I'm hopefully thinking that we can establish ourselves um, in this type of area as a feature at St. Luke's, but you know, one thing at a time, we're making our debut on Friday the 24th, and just hope people can come. Well, it sounds really exciting, very challenging as well for students. Um, you mentioned the fact that um, both singers and pianists um, love getting their teeth into this kind of work. Um, you're obviously one of the world's leading accompanists, but you do spend a lot of time working with young and up-and-coming musicians. 
what do you hope to pass on to them through your work? It's a very interesting question. I think all accompanists are teachers. I know very few accompanists who don't actually teach because even when we're accompanying not for teaching purposes but even for performance purposes, we are repositories of information and experience. So actually discreetly teaching even people who we're not supposed to be officially teaching <laughs> comes very easily. Um, passing on, well... What I got from great pianists like Gerald Moore, who was the great English accompanist, well, probably the, the most famous of all time, or working with Benjamin Britten or Geoffrey Parsons, was a feeling of permission, the laying on of hands, the passing of tradition, mm. certainly some technical um, tips, certainly some specific pieces of information, certainly some challenging aspects, but simply as a young person, being with people who are doing it, who can do it, have done it, is what I think is very enlightening. It actually makes the youngster feel part of a community, part of a possibility for the future. And that's the point of, you know, coming to a world centre like London, where the staff are all actually doing things, some of them very importantly and at high focus. Because introducing young artists to people who actually are not just dreaming of doing it themselves, but have actually done it, mm. and who can actually show, as they sit down at the piano or sing or whatever, well, teaching is more than just actually pedagogics and technique. It's an opening of the soul and also an establishing of a confidence that the youngster is part of a tradition is being welcomed into that tradition and has been challenged to become, in their turn, that part of a tradition which will in future teach themselves. It's a never-ending chain. And so do you have specific advice for um, students who are about to enter a professional career as an accompanist? Um, how do you make your way in that kind of industry? It's a very specialised career and very... Interesting, that's a whole book I would have thought. I mean, a lot of people imagine accompanying to be sort of like a paid holiday, like a front seat at a recital where you actually get a better chance to hear the singer as you actually provide service that you might compare to that of a butler serving up a meal at a sideboard. Of course, it's much more complicated than that, and it's got spiritual challenges because um, amongst many of the problems you are dealing with an audience that primarily comes to hear the singer and people who love singers are normally not necessarily chamber music lovers but are excited by timbre, personality, all the things that actually make singers singers. So very often you get very short shrift, not because people want to insult you or underestimate what you've done but because they simply haven't heard what you've done or understood what you've done. The singer knows how important you are and, of course, the connoisseur. We're not talking about the fact now that there are many people who do understand precisely and love the art form for that purpose. But we are paid less and get less fame. So, quite simply, you've got to have a philosophical attitude to the whole profession 
that isn't particularly aiming to rule the world via accompaniment because it won't happen. <laughs> There's a glass ceiling to which you can go once you've been to Carnegie Hall or the Wigmore Hall or to the Musikverein in Vienna. All you can hope is that um, you can go there again. In other words, there's no um, opera chances or Hollywood chances. You know, the, ch the, the careers of actors and great singers can literally go from one enclosure to the next and rarely become nuclear. <laughs> you can never have a nuclear career as an accompanist. It's got limits. But the big payoff is in the greatness of the repertoire, the pleasure of doing the work, the... Um, the sense of collaborating and nurturing which comes more readily to some personalities than to others. It's not only how well you play, it's a question of how well you, and how much pleasure you get from, as it were, being a behind-the-scenes person who will, midwife if you like, who will actually help give birth to a performance. And there are some people who love that behind-the-scenes work. Look at all our great civil servants and what they do. Or in they, the theatre, the backstage guys in the yes. theatre. But it's an element of being on stage, you see. We are on stage and we are judged and we've got very difficult things to do, so we don't actually have the anonymity, but we don't get the rewards of the, of the big people. I think that actually um, Yes Minister could be Yes Soprano or Yes Tenor quite easily <laughs> because we're making lots of decisions and lots of suggestions and pulling lots of strings and the singer is out there getting all the credit which suits us fine just as well as it suits the civil servants concerned. But on the other hand, only a certain type of personality gets pleasure from being a power behind the throne. <laughs> and... Uh, and I think you should be certain that you are one of those people before you go into this, otherwise you die of frustration mm. and anger that, you know, you're not getting more of your um, just desserts. Mm. I like that analogy. Um, you mentioned that Guildhall is uh, very well known for its vocal training. Obviously, it also has um, a rich heritage of um, accompanists and re repetitors. Um, do you, what do you think is special about the training here? Well, there's a lot that's special about the training here, but I think one of the things in terms of the voice and piano department, and I was trained at uh, the academy, and what happened there is that there was a lot of private um, tuition and a lot of very strong close relating between teacher and singer, but not such an opportunity to perform in classes. And what I think is very democratic about the Guildhall is that it's a bit like a ballet school. Everything is done at, at the bar. And just like ballet dancers can't decry their colleagues because everyone can see in class who's marvellous and who isn't. It's absolutely to be seen. There's so much classwork here, so much a feeling of the students belonging not only to one individual teacher who merges them like a private Sengali, but to the whole school. Pupils bounce from one influence to the other, and fortunately in this environment, nobody minds when one of their students is criticised by someone else. It's just part of the rough and tumble of everyday life. But some institutions are still very much involved in sheltering this person with a Svengali-like presence and then trotting them out for the occasional concert. Everybody gets terribly used to falling flat on their face in front of other people here. 
I mean, it's a pretty unpleasant experience in the beginning, having to sight read in front of everybody, having to sing daily, having to be criticised in front of everyone else. But it actually becomes very useful after a while, and it's water off a duck's back, because basically some people have good days and some people have bad days, and basically, in the end, it balances out. I think it's a wonderfully democratic school. I think it's got its feet on the ground, and I think that after a training here, and it's a pretty stringent training, you are really set for a life in the rough and tumble of the profession. There's nothing hothouse about here. And I must say that it doesn't really help to be hothouse because it shields people from the realities of the profession as they exist. And then you have a shock when you leave. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, finally, um, you've worked on a number of high-profile projects in your career, um, recording the complete Schubert leader for Hyperion, various other... Um, large-scale recording projects. What do you have coming up that you can share with us? I'm in the middle of um, a Brahms project. So uh, there is, I've done three of those. Three of those have been issued, and the fourth is coming out with the great Dutch baritone Robert Hull. I've just completed the complete Poulenc songs on four CDs, and... Uh, I always write my own program notes about everything, so actually there's a lot of work to do there. And maybe a book, you'll see, but that is part of the ongoing research aspect of the Guildhall, and it's also a pleasure to be here. Um, there's a large research element here, and people who are working here are not only teaching, but also contributing a body of printed and written material which is useful to the world. Um, I've got a book on... The History of Song coming up, which I've been commissioned to do by a great American publisher, so that may be a textbook uh, in America, which is uh, quite exciting. Uh, and the big book that I've written on Schubert, which is really the biggest book on the subject ever written, will be, it's presently in proof form, but it's so vast it's going to take a year to go through proof, so that's actually coming out wow. next year. And yes, various performances. Life is very full and, and very rich. A mixture of teaching and writing and playing, that suits me very well. And, uh, and I can't say which is more important. The playing is demanding because you have to travel. And I uh, just come back last night from Hamburg uh, with the Bostridge. But in fact, it is one of those wonderful aspects of an accompanist's life that we, re that, that we have a portfolio that can actually stop life from being dull and boring and, and predictable. Sometimes one's in a playing mode, sometimes one's got to be in a writing mode, and sometimes one's got to be, as it were, in a teaching mode. And just at the moment, as Friday the 24th comes up, what's very much on my mind is getting these marvellous young artists ready for Wolf's Italianicious book. Well, we're really looking forward to it. 24th of February, Alice A. St. Luke's, um, The Song Guild. Tickets available through the Barbican Box Office. Thank you so much for coming in, Graham, pleasure, and good you. luck with the project. Thank you. Thank you.